0: CHAPTER Twenty Five of That Affair at Portstead Manor by Gladys Edson Locke. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mr. Clavering learns more of detective methods. While Lady Ursula was making arrangements for the removal of Travers's body, Mr. Clavering and Mercedes Quero waited outside in the cab, and he ventured to ask her how she had come to suspect the identity of Thompson the butler from the first i was interested in the servant's description of him she answered but i had difficulty in making them talk lady ursula had commanded them to preserve silence in regard to him still we detectives have a persuasive way when necessary and i learned that he had apparently forced himself into the household lady ursula had sent to london for a butler then suddenly wired the man not to come and the next morning presented thompson as the butler no one knew where he had come from he was palpably ignorant of the duties of a butler, behaved in an arrogant manner to the servants, was insolent to Lady Ursula, and openly contemptuous of Lord Portstead's orders. None of the servants had a good word to say for him, but her ladyship's silly little maid was said to have been infatuated with him. It did not occur to me to question the servants in regard to, to Thompson, said Mr. Clavering, chagrined at his failure to do so, and evidently believing that he could have persuaded the servants to talk, as well as could the detective. In fact, I did not see how Thompson could have had any connection with the case, since he left the manor some hours before the necklace arrived. But he did not leave the village, Mr. Clavering. That afternoon he was drinking at the Portstead Arms. Rose joined him there later, and evidently brought the stolen necklace. It seems to have been no secret that Lady Pevensey had sent for it, and he must have planned the details of its theft before he left the manor, as the result of a violent quarrel with Lady Ursula. "'But,' demurred Mr. Clavering, "'I cannot understand why he should return the necklace, nor how it was returned.' Mercedes Quero shot a glance at Mr. Clavering from her luminous brown eyes, expressive of her wonder at his slowness of comprehension. "'That explains itself. Lady Ursula suspected that he had stolen the necklace, and on the night of its theft she sent Lord Meldrum. "'Ah, you begin to understand.' to his hiding-place in the woods to beg him to give up the necklace travers had occupied the woodcutter's hut before he played at being butler he knew that the police were trailing him he evidently offered to restore the necklace on payment of money for lord meldrum went to him again on the next night directly after his interview in the library with the earl and i am convinced that he carried with him the money from the portstead rents which lady ursula had that morning received you will recollect that only three days later she was without money, and was forced to appeal to you to satisfy her younger brother's creditors. Moreover, I discovered that Lord Meldrum had instructed his bankers to transfer from his account to Lady Ursula's, without her knowledge, a sum exactly equivalent to the revenue from the portstead rents. There you have the explanation of Lord Meldrum's suspicious actions. Lady Ursula, of course, could not return the necklace openly without entering into explanations. This she was unwilling to do, and so apparently at her wit's end she came through the secret passage into your chamber and replaced the necklace in the dressing-table drawer, hoping that it would soon be discovered. The detective's tone bore the ring of conviction, but Mr. Clavering was still a little puzzled. "'Lord Meldrum knew, then, that Thompson was Travers, Lady Ursula's husband?' He may have suspected, but I think, I feel sure, that he did not know the whole truth until his interview with the Earl. I believe that Lord Portstead summoned him to the library in order to tell him that Lady Ursula was Travers' wife. Of course he did, agreed Mr. Clavering, viewing the detective with unbounded admiration. But I cannot yet see how you came to discover Lady Ursula's marriage and Travers' identity. Mercedes Quero gave a superior little smile. "'Incidentally, I first discovered Mavis, before you even knew of her existence. "'I made a shrewd guess as to whose child she was, and the more I observed Lady Ursula, "'the more convinced I became. I knew that Thompson had some hold over her, "'and granting that there was a union between them, regular or even irregular, "'the Earl's excessive opposition to Lord Meldrum's attentions to her was comprehensible, "'but I admit it was the will which really showed me the truth.' There was given Mavis's surname, which I had not been able to learn, and her former place of residence, if not birth. I wired an Italian detective to search the marriage and birth registers in the vicinity of Tegiano, and he found records of the marriage of Lady Ursula to Sir Julian Travers and of the birth of their daughter Mavis. I next sent to Scotland Yard for a personal description of Travers. I knew him well enough by reputation, as I fancy every tracker of criminals does the description tallied with that of the supposed butler, and I was also told that Travers had been seen recently in England. The police had been on his track, and then he suddenly dropped out of sight. Of course you will understand that during the period of his disappearance he was in the vicinity of the manor harrying Lady Ursula for money, and attempting to gain possession of Mavis, for he knew that if he had the child his hold on Lady Ursula would be strengthened lady ursula very unwisely removed mavis from the north wing of the manor to wild rose villa but it was hard to keep the child secreted in the north wing before the house party she had had the run of the manor and of course could not understand why she must be locked up now elena was a strict jailer but occasionally mavis would escape her vigilance and go roaming about the house one night as you know she fell downstairs she bruised herself rather badly and elena to prevent any further roamings broke her little crutch and hid it in the trunkle-bed where burton found it her crutch echoed mr clavering in astonishment mercedes quero looked astonished in her turn didn't you know that mavis was a cripple why no i only saw her twice once in the dog-cart and the second time sitting in the window at wild rose villa i wonder that elena allowed her to be seen there so often remarked the detective when she knew that Travers was trying to get possession of her. But I suppose she had confidence in her own ability to protect the child. She certainly showed herself an excellent marksman two nights ago when he tried to break into the villa. He was so maimed by the shot that he could do no more than drag himself into that tangle of bushes behind the shed. While he lay hidden there, Elena harnessed Tony and with the child drove to the manor. I am fortunately a light sleeper, and I heard them drive up as elena is provided with the key to the library door lady ursula trusts her implicitly and the woman is devoted to her they did not have to rouse the servants at sunrise the next morning lady ursula drove them over to the railway station at westhaven where they caught the early train for london she evidently considered belgrave square a safer residence for mavis now than portstead village she could not foresee that travers would go up to london on the very next train He was driven to the station by the village 'er ne'er-do-well, who had brought him food while he was living in the woods, and was wading down the lane with a wagon when he tried to break into the villa. Mr. Clavering looked very grave. Travers led a bad life from the time he was expelled from Eton. I often wondered at the fascination he exercised over Lady Ursula. He was several years older than she, and steeped in vice while she was still a schoolgirl. Her father did his best to break off the attachment but opposition served only to increase her infatuation, and at the time of his public disgrace she was brought into unpleasant prominence. From then until her father died, she lived abroad. He never forgave her for bringing the old name into such painful notoriety. He was a very proud man. So evidently was his heir, commented Mercedes Quero dryly, proud and cold and hard. He did his duty by his sister and her child, as far as maintaining them went, but it was with the stipulation, as the clause in his will shows, that Lady Ursula keep her marriage a strict secret, and he exacted payment for what he considered his magnanimity by forcing her to live under a system of constant espionage and merciless criticism. She must have lived in continual torture, hounded for money by a husband she was ashamed and forbidden to own, obliged to hide her child from the world. And subjected daily to the petty tyranny of a man who would never permit her to forget his sublimity and her own abasement. I wonder that she endured so long. She must indeed have led a wretched life, agreed mr Clavering. I do not wish to speak ill of the dead, but Lord Portstead had an exaggerated idea of his own righteousness, and Travers was a man of unspeakable degradation. Yet it is hard to think of him as being the murderer of his wife's brother. As a matter of fact, he was not remarked Mercedes Quero quietly. Mr. Clavering gaped in amazement. "'But—but, I thought—why, everything points to him!' "'On the contrary,' replied the detective with her enigmatic smile. "'I have indisputable proof that at the time the murder was committed, Travers was in Westhaven, gambling away the money that Lady Ursula had paid him for the necklace. Mr. Clavering fairly bounced up from his seat. "'Then who?' Mercedes Quero sat straight and determined— and her eyes burned into his as she said, "'I hope to make the guilty person speak before this day is over. "'Until the truth is declared, "'suspicion will hang over those who are innocent, "'and while there may be extenuating circumstances, "'the guilty person must not be spared at the expense of others. "'Yet although I am morally certain who committed the murder, "'I have no actual proof, "'and unless I can force a confession, "'I must admit myself beaten in the case.' as Burton has been obliged to do. Mr. Clavering sank back with the old nameless dread in his heart. What did she mean by extenuating circumstances? Who could have killed Portstead under extenuating circumstances? Who but—he voiced the question. But Mercedes Quero had slipped on the mask of reserve, and she would say only, "'I will not accuse where I have no proof. You must wait developments.' Just then Lady Ursula and Lord Meldrum emerged from the lodging-house. Meldrum courteously but firmly made a way for her through the gaping crowd blocking the steps and sidewalk and assisted her into the cab. He gave the direction. Belgrave Square! And the car, with a warning honk, shot forward. Lady Ursula kept her veil down, and now and then she caught her breath with a shuddering sigh. Meldrum appeared deeply moved. At a stifled sob from Lady Ursula... His fine face contracted, and he laid his hand on hers in silent sympathy. Arrived at the mansion in Belgrave Square, he led her up the steps with tender solicitude. At the opening of the door, there sounded a brisk tap, tapping along the hall. In the shadow of the tall footman, Mr. Clavering caught sight of a little red-haired, sharp-featured girl, balancing herself on a tiny crutch, and peering curiously at the newcomer's. Lady Ursula, throwing back her veil, went quickly toward the child, and stooping, gathered her in her arms, and kissed her. The child suffered the embrace, but soon freed herself. "'I know that man!' she cried gleefully, pointing to Mr. Clavering. Lady Ursula turned to Meldrum. "'Wilford,' she said anxiously, and her cheeks went faintly pink. "'This is Mavis.' Meldrum advanced to the child with hand outstretched. I am glad to know mavis he said heartily mavis put a thin little hand into his and looked up into the kind face how do you do she responded eagerly i am glad to know you too i watched you playing bowls one day from the window in the north wing when elena was downstairs i think it's a very interesting game you always win don't you you are so big and strong meldrum's eyes were very kind indeed as he smiled down at the wisp of a girl balancing herself on the crutch. "'I have pretty fair luck,' he said gently. "'Sometime you shall watch as many games of bowls as you like.' Mavis clapped her hands and laughed an elfish laugh. Then suddenly she frowned. "'Will she let me?' with a jerk of her head toward Lady Ursula. "'I think she will,' Meldrum responded gravely. End of Chapter 25